you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. exalt his name together my God is greater than whatever it is magnify the name of the Lord magnify him make him look larger make him greater than whatever that you deal with my God's greater greater than my worries greater than my fears oh, what a great song get the Lord a hand clap once more today he's worthy he's worthy he's worthy he's worthy You can be seated tonight. Thank you for your worship. Thank you for being here on this Wednesday evening. I will do my best to be mindful of the time tonight and stay focused on the subject matter that I feel to bring to you this evening. I want to talk to you about a subject that I think is very important to all of us, and that is the idea of becoming great. There is an innate desire within the heart of humanity to become great. We want to become great. We're driven. We're motivated for greatness. We want to become great. We have a desire to become great. As children, children look at superheroes and supermodels And whatever great personality, somebody popular, somebody wealthy, and desire to be like them, they want to become great. It starts with childhood, and it really never leaves. There is a desire in the heart of every one of us to become great. We may say, oh, no, 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 not me, not me, but there is a desire to become great. The reason that we go in debt to buy nicer cars and bigger houses than our neighbor is because there is an inner desire to have more, to be more, to own more, to accomplish more, because that desire to be great is within us. 
There's nothing wrong with being great, but we need to make sure that we are not wanting to be great in others' eyes as much as we want to be great in God's eyes. And so the subject matter tonight that I want to bring to you is how to become great in God's eyes. Because if we can become great in God's eyes, that's what really matters. Greatness in man's eyes is always going to be something that is going to frustrate us and if we're not careful can even lead us to sin. The very fall, the fall of man, the first sin in the garden, when Satan speaks to Eve, when the serpent speaks to Eve in the garden, what is it that Satan says? If you eat, you will become like God. You're going to become great. Therein lies in the very core of man the, the, the internal desire to be great. One of the greatest hindrances in life is when we lose hope in our future. We feel like we're spent, we're done, we can go no further. We're nev life's never going to be better. That's what leads to all sorts of internal frustrations, depression, suicide, all sorts of, of disorders and struggles is when we feel that we have reached the apex and have nowhere else left to grow. Can I say to you tonight that everybody in this room and everyone watching online and who may watch this message online, can I speak a word to you tonight? I'm not coming to you as a prophet, but I'm telling you tonight that every one of you have the potential to be greater tomorrow than you are today. You are not done. God is not done with you. Your growth is not over. Your life is not ended. You have not reached the apex. That's why we should be growing. We should be accomplishing. We should be becoming greater than we are today. We need to capitalize on that, but get your eyes off of men and men's opinion of greatness. Because man's opinion of greatness is connected to wealth and to fame. Popularity, the desire of greatness, the desire to be looked upon, and it is things that feed the flesh. Those are not the things in which God gauges greatness. And so if we will begin to look at greatness from the point of view of God's eyes, then we will begin to understand that the most important things in life is not what we own, not the not the education or the letters behind or in front of our names. The greatest accomplishment in life is when we hear him say, well done. And between here and there, we must be growing toward hearing him say, we did well. And if we're going to hear him say, well done, then we have to be doing well between now and then. Because if we're not doing well between now and then, he's not going to say well done because we're not doing. 
And so we must be doing well between hearing there to hear him say, well done. So I want to talk to you tonight about how to become great in God's eyes. In Genesis chapter 39, we read a story about a man named Joseph. Beginning in Genesis chapter 39 and verse number 1, Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Now, powerful, powerful testimony. This Genesis 39 and verse 1, this text here begins by describing Joseph as a prosperous man, but yet a man who became a servant. Now, let me begin in the onset of what I am going to say to you tonight, in the crux of it all, servanthood is the path to greatness. Let the greatest among us be servant. Servanthood is the practice of humility and it is the opposite of pride. So the Lord doesn't like a haughty spirit. The Lord doesn't like an attitude of, of look at me, look what I have, look what I own, look what I'm doing, look what I'm accomplishing. But servanthood is the practice of humility and it is the opposite of pride. Now understand that the culture of Bible times is not too much off of where the culture of these days really are. The culture of Bible times thought humility to be weakness. Paul wants the Corinthians to get over this, and he speaks to them about 
getting over the idea that your humility is a sign of weakness. The whole idea, the whole concept of humility and servanthood is opposing to the world's view of how we should live our life. I'm guessing that a TV show titled Lifestyles of the Humble and the Poor is probably not going to get very high ratings. But Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous gets a lot of people's attention. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The Bible tells us to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. Here's the idea. We cannot allow the world's beliefs to cloud our own view of what God is expecting out of us. At the very core of this message tonight, what I am trying to speak to every one of us is if we can get our mind, our worldview, our concepts off of what the world sees, what society sees as reaching the apex of fame and fortune and, and ego and pride, and we can understand that what makes us great in God's eyes is going to be what really brings fulfillment and satisfaction and greatness in our hearts. All through the scripture, the Bible talks about this. If you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, you're going to read that everything is vanity and vexation of spirit. All the things that we seek after, the things that the world sees as greatness leads to vanity and vexation of spirit. Do you want to know why that so many people, even people who are Christians, that miss the idea that I'm teaching to you about tonight? Do you want to know why so many deal and fight with and struggle with depression and, and fight and struggle with all sorts of mental disorders? It is because we have a warped view that is not of God that was placed by the world in us and we begin feeling like a failure, feeling like we are not accomplished, feeling like we have not achieved and we have not done. We don't have what the neighbor has. Thank God you may not have the debt the neighbor has. Well, my vehicle isn't as nice as what my friends are. You may not have the payment that they have either. So find the side to rejoice in the fact that what society finds as greatness is not what the Lord says that He is looking for in greatness out of us. Servants, in fact, are not faithful over what they own but servants are faithful over another man's property. Understand this. I read to you about Joseph 
he was not faithful over his things. He was faithful over another man. He was a servant, and he was faithful over another man's property. Everybody say stewardship. Stewardship, don't get nervous. I'm not preaching about money tonight when I use the word stewardship. Everybody just got nervous. I felt it. Not talking to you about tonight about money. I'm talking about stewardship, being faithful over the things that God has put in your trust that really don't belong to you. It really belongs to God. See, you all just got nervous over the idea of the discussion of money. I have a question for you. How much are you taking with you when you leave this world? If you're not taking it with you, then you don't really own it. The world has you believing that it's yours, but can I tell you that the government can tax you broke? You think you own it. Well, have you seen all of my property and all of my belongings? The world can tax you broke. Don't get too caught up in it. Don't get overwhelmed by it. Don't start feeling like that you're a loser because you have less than somebody else. Are you faithful? Are you a steward over the things that God has given you? Pastor, I need to guess, I need to know first what God has given me. We need to stop and just let me ask you, did you wake up this morning? Did he give you this day? If he gave you this day, then he gave you this day to do the very best with it because you are not promised tomorrow. So do good with what he has given you today. Has he blessed you with relationships and friendships has he blessed you with a family? Has he blessed you with a church? Has he filled you with his, with his spirit? I'm talking about being good stewards over the things that God has blessed you with, that he has put into your care. What are you doing with the things that God has put into your care? Are you a good servant? Are you being a good steward over what God has put into your care. Oh yeah, I'm being a good steward. I'm going to leave it all to my kids and they're just going to, yeah, they're going to go to Disney World on it. Three times and then they're going to be broke. That would have been funny if you've been to Disney World lately. It's expensive. So the world's warped view of what success is and what popularity and money can buy and, and where popularity gets you and power and authority, control and position. All of these things have created a view that if we have more, become more, that that means we are more. But the Bible teaches us a whole different concept. The Bible teaches us that the way up is down. The way to greatness is through servanthood. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. 
So the exaltation of God does not come by make yourself appear great among your brothers and sisters at church. He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time, in due season, when the time is right. So we humble ourselves and the scripture teaches us that when the time is right, God then does the exaltation. The key ingredient to servanthood is to be a servant without being asked to be a servant. If somebody has to ask you to be a servant, then you are only doing what is asked of you. But if it becomes natural to you to serve, then you are on a path that will lead to greatness. Because the attitude of a servant understands, I am not trying to build my own kingdom, I am trying to build the master's kingdom. The question was asked by the disciples, Lord, who who of us is going to be the greatest in your kingdom? Can you imagine such a question? Look around you, the row in front of you, behind you. Look around you. See who's sitting close to you? Pick about 12 people that's sitting around you and ask yourself, hmm, who's who's the greatest here in this group? Who's the greatest on, on this row? My mother-in-law, of course, on that row. We know. Paula's second. It's a strong tie between those two fellows on the end. Mother-in-law credits. Lord, who's, who's going to be the greatest when we get to heaven? Who, who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? We... We want to know, Lord, is who, who's going who's gonna to be the right-hand man? And Jesus said, whoever's the least. What kind of thinking is that? That's God's thinking, whoever's the least. The question of who is the greatest is rooted in pride and self-exaltation. This will always bring about contention. Watch this now. It doesn't matter whether it's in the church or whether it's on the little league team. Hello, somebody. It doesn't matter whether it's in the school drama or the drama in the school. Everybody wants to be the greatest or they want their little darling to be the greatest. And Jesus blows up the whole idea. Now, the master, who's going to be the greatest? Well, you who is the least. What, what does that mean? Oh, oh, well, let me, let me, let me be the servant. Turn on the video cameras and, and let me, let me serve. Here is the problem with today. Hey, let's go feed the hungry. Here, let's, 
Let me get Facebook Live going. Hello, everybody. Here I am. I'm downtown, and here we are, and I'm feeding the hungry. Do you see all the great things? I'm, look how great I am. I'm, I'm feeding the poor and, and the hungry and, and, and handing out blankets. And Don't get me wrong. All of those things are good things to do, but that's not making you great in the kingdom. Because what we are doing, we are doing to exalt, to exalt. Oh, look how humble I am. I'm down here among the poor and the needy. Look how, no, but look at the spirit, the motive behind it all. So when Jesus says, you who are the least, he's not talking about those who are serving in front of everybody to see the accolades of men. But it's those who will humble themselves when nobody's watching. Those who will go to the prayer closet when nobody knows. Not the one that signs up every time it's, well, we need everybody praying and fasting. And we thank God. Didn't Dylan do a wonderful job on Sunday night? spoke to us powerfully. And I've heard from several different people that said, I just feel changed by that message that he preached, called to consecration and prayer and fasting. These are all good things. And, and I just felt in line with what I'm teaching. And I just felt, to, to, we don't, we're not going to do sign-ups. We're not going to do, I just, if you'll make a commitment, you do whatever God is speaking to you. And people are saying, man, I have, I'm, I made some commitments this week and I am compelled. I'm compelled to be different in my prayer, different in my fasting. This is what I'm preaching about tonight. This is what I'm teaching you tonight. Not praying. So as the, as the Pharisees, as one to get attention and one to have the cameras on. Let me do it while everybody's looking. But the one that will do it in secret, the one that will pray for revival in the church when nobody knows they are. The one that gives sacrificially when nobody even knows they're giving sacrificially. To the one that says, I'm going to fund the next revival. Here, here's, here's a few thousand dollars to make something happen. But there's no accolades and no pats on the back. And no, no nobody's walking to the front. And nobody's shaking it in front of everybody saying, hey, look what I'm doing. No, that's what the Pharisees did. Jesus said, I don't even like that. I don't even receive that. But what I receive is the one in humility that will fast when nobody knows. And pray when nobody knows. And serve when nobody's watching. Humility will always bring the exaltation of God. Before we can talk about being a great servant and a great, before we can talk about the way to get to greatness, we have to talk about what, is it, what does it look like to be great in God's eyes. Matthew 20, verse 28 says to be great is to be servant. So to be great in God's eyes, first of all, is to be an obedient servant. It's a servant who is not being forced or commanded or demanded. People who serve God out of the whole idea of, Pastor, here's what I need. I need you to give me a list of rules and regulations. That as soon as, I, soon as I sense that and feel that, I recognize somebody is missing the idea 
that God is not looking for people to serve him out of let me have the checklist of I did this and I did this and this is the rules and I passed all the rules today and tomorrow I'm going to go through all of the rules and I'm going to go through all the lists and I'm going to do it. Jesus is saying I'm looking somebody who has the heart of a servant that says I'm not looking for the least amount I can do. I just want to make the master happy. And when we began to understand that we're the servant and he is the master, not the world is the master and not the people looking at us as our master, but he is our master. So now everything that I do is done out of a different attitude and a different spirit. Now I am not serving him out of, well, I've got this list of rules that i got to go by and the things I have to do if I'm going to go to this church and the things I have to do if I'm going. No, no, no. Let it come from your heart. And the attitude of a servant says, I want to do whatever I can do to make him happy. If it pleases him, then I'm doing it. Well, the world doesn't see that as greatness. That's okay. I want to make the master happy. I want to please him. So to be great in God's eyes, first of all, is to be an obedient servant. Joseph, who was the example in which I read tonight to teach from, he was a faithful servant because he was an obedient servant. Joseph was a great type of Christ because Jesus himself became the servant of men in order to bring salvation to mankind. What does the life of Jesus say about servanthood? Philippians chapter 2 verse 8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus exemplified what we are to do. I preached on it, taught on it last week, I think it was. Present your body a living sacrifice. That pleases him. Not somebody commanding, demanding, making you, but do it out of a servant's heart of I'm presenting myself to you because my heart is right with you. To be, a great, to be great in God's eyes, one must be faithful. To be great in God's eyes, one must be found faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, More, moreover, it is required in stewards. See where that word is? Not, not one that is overseeing his own property, one who is overseeing God's property. Moreover, it is required in stewards. See, we have people that are great managers of themselves, and they, they're easy. it's easy for them to be selfish and do whatever is right for them. But it's a different story for them to do what is right for the kingdom. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Remember, a steward is an overseer of another man's property. So if we are servant over God's property, if we are working in the kingdom of God, we must be found faithful. People who are not faithful, I, I, I feel like I'm teaching to a faithful group of people. You're here on Wednesday night. You didn't come because we had the special guest. You didn't come tonight because we had the big name prophet coming in. You didn't come tonight because we, we were going to have a, a, a concert and a party afterwards. And, and, and 
an ice cream social and dinner and 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 you came tonight because you were faithful. There's some of you that came tonight not because you didn't have other things you needed to do, not because you weren't busy, not even because some of you came tonight not even feeling like being here, but here you are tonight and you're here because you have faithfulness in you. That faithfulness that you have makes you when you have when when you are a faithful steward then you are faithful in the good times and the bad times. You're faithful when you feel well and when you don't feel well. You're faithful. And faithfulness must be found in the life of a steward. And we are a steward over God's property. So Joseph was diligent in his work as a servant. And Egypt prospered because of Joseph's diligence. It wasn't because there was a good Pharaoh. It wasn't because the right person's in the White House. It was Joseph's diligence that brought about prosperity to Egypt. Now watch how confusing this can be. Egypt was the enemy to Israel. Yet Joseph is faithful to his work that is blessing the enemy of God's people. Wow. But God had a way and a plan that he was going to, I don't have the time to get into all of it tonight, but God had a plan and a way that he was going to take Joseph's faithfulness and Joseph's blessings and he's going to turn it around to bless his own people. There was never a prophet that came along and said, Joseph, if you'll do this, if you'll do this, God's going to, God's going to use you to save your brethren. Joseph, if you do this, God's going to turn things around in your life. Never, not once. He did it only because it was what was in his heart. Mm -hmm. Can I talk to you a little bit? Can I be real with you? There's people who say, well, if God prospers me, I'm I'm really going to bless the church, but right now, right now, I'm struggling and I'm going through it, and and I, you know, I I can't pay tithing, I can't bless the church, I can't be faithful, I can't be a good steward right now. But but when I when my ship comes in, you know, when I when when I get when I, when when wealth comes to me, then I'm going to bless God's kingdom. Forget it, wealth's never going to come to you. The blessings of God is never going to come to you. The favor of God's never going to be upon you. Not the way it could be. Some people say, well, see, I'm blessed and I haven't done all of those things. Mm, I could ask you a few questions. Are you really blessed or are you blessed by man's philosophy of blessing? So is your blessing only in the here and now or is your blessing eternal? I'm walking gently right now, but let me let me let me let me just remind you to be faithful, to be faithful over another man's property, even when it is it has nothing to do with blessing you. But the promises of God are yea and amen, meaning that whatever God has spoken in His Word, you, you don't. If if you are giving to get, then you're giving for the wrong reason, and the getting's going to never come. So people say, "Well, I tried it," but giving financially is the only place that God ever said. Try me because when you give financially, God said you can try me in this and I will give back to you. 
but it's more than just finances. There is something to be said for your faithfulness. When you walk faithful to God, look around you and start seeing the number of people you're affecting. Your family starts walking faithful. Your children start walking faithful. Your grandchildren start walking faithful because it is the blessings of God to the faithful. To the faithful servant, the one that is a steward over another man's property. It is the blessings and the favor of God. I've got to move. The next thing to point out about the pathway to greatness is that to be great in God's eyes is one who motivates and lifts up others. One who, if I use this word, one who is a blessing to others, one who is their brother's keeper, one who lifts up someone else. We, we all, this week, I kind of crashed for a few minutes and was just venting. And I had to catch myself and stop and say, I shouldn't be venting, I shouldn't be saying anything. I had a rough day. Listen, that's not a quality of a good servant. Here's what a good servant does. A good servant motivates others. And a good servant doesn't motivate others with a whip. A good servant motivates others by saying, come on, we're going to do this. Come on, we're going to link up together. When you see your brother working and trying, you get up beside him and say, is that a little difficult for you? Let me see if I can give you a hand. Let me see if I can help you. Let me not tear you down because that's what the world does. Let me tear everybody else down so that I'm the only one standing. But that's not greatness in God's eyes. Greatness in God's eyes says when everybody else is down, I'm supposed to be over here helping them because I am a servant, not a Lord. Mm, did that come through? I am servant, not Lord. A Lord masters over everybody and tries to tell everybody else how it is to be done. But a servant gets alongside them and says, come on, I am my brother's keeper. I will help my brother bear his burdens. I will be the lifter of my brother. I'll pick up the phone and call my sister because I know she is struggling, because I sense that she's going through it, because I see them in trial. I will be the lifter. I will be the burden bearer. I will be, the, I will be an encourager to them. I will be a motivator to say, come on, we can do this. Come on, we can make it. No, I may have pain in my own body, but I'm going to encourage my brother to say, come on, we're going to get through it. We're going to make it. That's a quality of a good servant. They not only do their work that is placed upon them, but they motivate others to work to the best of their abilities. You can't sit around grumbling and thinking, well, why do I have to do everything around here? My dad tells a story. He was pastoring in his first pastorate in his younger years of ministry. And I remember him telling the story, and I wish he was here, and I could hand him the mic and have him share the story much better than I can, but he didn't have many men in his church. And... The grass was growing. He was working a full-time job, bivocational pastor. And Saturday, he was out mowing a pretty good-sized church lawn. And all he had was a little push mower. And he was out mowing that church lawn, and he had been mowing all summer long. And he's pushing that mower. 
across that yard, and he got frustrated one Saturday. It was Texas heat. He's sweating. He's struggling. He's just at the very end of his ability to be able to push that more. He needed a break. He was tired. It was, it was hot. He was struggling. The enemy was using that to his favor. And he said, I was pushing that more along. And he said, all of a sudden, I just stopped, turned off that, that more, and said, I have done my part. I'm not mowing anything else. If the rest of this yard gets mowed, somebody else can do it. I have done my part. And he said it was one of the first times that he ever felt he heard the audible voice of God speak directly to him and ask him, what is your part? He said, to which I responded by pulling the lawnmower string, starting the lawnmower up, and continuing on mowing. See, sometimes we can get to grumbling because we're working, because we're laboring. Because he said, then I got to thinking. And he said, you know what? He said, every week, he said, when it came time to mow that lawn, he said, I'd start pushing that mower. And he said, it just changed my whole mentality of it. He said, I pushed that mower until God gave me some men in the church that were able to step up and help. And he said, they would come out. And he said, when I had to step in and help, he said, I never grumbled about it again because the Lord taught me a big lesson with one question, what is your part? <laughs> Joseph was not only the overseer of his master's things and his master's property, but he was also put in charge over other servants. So it was his job to motivate others to succeed in their field of labor. See, this is where, this is where we must understand I've had people come to me and say, well, you know, I've been around the church a long time. I just don't see there's anything for me to do. Listen, being a good servant isn't about a title. It isn't about a position. There's always something to do around the church. Some of the greatest moments. I remember, I remember as a young person struggling to serve God and live for God, and I was the only young person in a little church. I'll never forget when it was an elder, a gray-haired elder, uh-oh, just mark myself. It was a gray-haired elder that every time that I would walk to the, to the front and begin to pray, he would walk up to the front right by me because I didn't have any other young people there to pray with me. That elder would walk up and pray with me. And when I danced, he would dance with me. And when I worshiped, he worshiped with me. And when I cried, he wept with me. And I look back now and recognize through some very difficult and dark days of my life, it was a man by the name of McFarland, Brother McFarland, that came. He's gone on to meet his reward. But tonight I could say, you know what? If it wasn't for an elder who wasn't getting any accolades but who recognized there was a young man that was struggling and he was right there encouraging me and saying, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. Sometimes it's the encouraging word. Sometimes it's the card you write and mail out. Sometimes it's the post on social media. Sometimes the text or the phone call or the encouraging word or the prayer in the altar. That is being a good servant. You are helping somebody. You are motivating somebody to do their best. I've got to hurry. Great servants, great in God's eyes. 
you don't have to mandate it and force it, but they take initiative. They do what needs to be done without pre- being pressured to do it. When Paul, at his conversion, he asked the Lord a question, and it's a question every one of us should ask. He said, Lord, what will you have me to do? What a great question. How long has it been since we've prayed and not said, God, this is what you need to do? Am I meddling too much tonight? But our prayer is no longer, God, you need to do this for me and that for me and this for me. See, that's how we begin to pray if we're not careful. Instead, our prayer, the prayer of a grateful servant of the Lord, of somebody who is going to be great in God's eyes, is one who says, Lord, show me what it is you want me to do. Teach me your way. Let me see what you would have me to do. Lord, here I am today. Lead me in the path of somebody that I can minister to. Show me what I can do today to become a better version of me. Show me what I can do today to encourage my brothers and sisters. Show me what I can do today to be a better servant. Faith works when we work. We can't ask God, God, you know, I need you to show me favor and Lord, my my bank account's kind of empty and um, Lord, I want you to fill the bank account. He will. Start filling out job applications. He'll bless you. Faith isn't sitting around saying, God, you do it all for me. But faith is believing, hey, God's going to give me the opportunities. He's going to give me, he's going to bless me. Faith works when we work. Joseph was favored because he took initiative to work and he exampled it in front of everybody else. And when he exampled it in front of everybody else, everybody around him worked. You ever notice how lazy people have a tendency to have lazy friends? And people who are prone to work have friends who are prone to work. Somebody said birds of a feather. I don't know. I'm meddling now. You want favor on your job? Take initiative. Go above and beyond what is expected of you. You want to be blessed? Praise God when things are going bad. Just because, listen, before we ever walk in, let me give you a little lesson. The priests, before they ever entered the doors, my Lord, I see the time. I've got to hurry before the priest ever entered the doors of the congregation to minister at the tabernacle of the congregation, before they ever entered, they got to the door. Before they ever got to the door, there was a couple things that had to happen. One, they had to be clean, perfectly clean. They went through a cleansing process. They took a bath, more than a bath, but quite a cleansing process. And then they put on special garments before they ever entered. And when they got to the door of the congregation, they could not walk through the door and enter into the tabernacle until they were anointed with a hen of oil, about seven quarts of oil that was poured out upon them that changed the whole aroma about them. In other words, everything from the earth, everything earthy was left outside 
when they entered, they were cleaned from all of the elements of the world, from all that had gone on in their day, from all of society, and they were anointed. That oil represents the spirit. You want to change the atmosphere of a church service? Leave your problems outside. Clean yourself up. Before you ever get here, go to God in prayer and say, God, I'm showing up tonight. I'm walking in the door. My heart is pure. My heart is clean. My life is clean. I'm not coming to church to get clean. I'm coming to church, Lord, leaving those things aside me. And before we ever enter, that's why having a prayer room, and I know this building has been a bit difficult for us. We still open some rooms for prayer. But the reason that we talk about pre-service prayer and the importance, you know what it is? It's the pouring in of the oil before we ever come into worship. Oh, that isn't for me. Then you're not going to ever truly find the, the anointing touch that you can find in God until you have been anointed with that oil. And then when they entered into the tabernacle of the congregation, there was an aroma about them that everyone could tell they had been anointed wasn't make-believe, wasn't fictitious. It was a special anointing. That's what we need in the house of God. So we need to leave everything aside. Take the initiative to say, before I ever get to church, I'm leaving all of these problems. I'm not coming in with my bad attitude. I'm not coming in with my filth and my bad spirit. I am leaving that outside. I am not walking into the doors of this house. I am coming into the doors of this house with a pure heart. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. That's how the Bible tells us. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. I'm just happy to be here. Does it mean problems aren't going on? Sure, I've got problems, but I'm leaving the problems outside. God's not my problem. I'm entering into his gates with thanksgiving, thankful to be here, thankful for the opportunity, into his courts with praise. God, you are awesome. You are great. You're bigger than my problems, bigger than my fears, bigger than my worries, bigger than my health, bigger than whatever's going on in my life. God, you are greater. We begin to praise him, magnify him, exalt him. We're making him greater than all of the problems, all of the things, and how we view God becomes greater. Did God change? No. Our view of God changed. We began to see God greater than our problems. We began to see God greater than all the problems that's going on out there. All of a sudden, now we start recognizing that we're not living according to the elements of the world. I'm closing. Cheryl, if you want to come give them just a pat of hope tonight that I'm telling the truth. If you, want to, if you want to be great in the eyes of God, we have to think of others before we think of ourselves. I am my brother's keeper. Nothing speaks more clearly, clearly of the life of Jesus than him saying, greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for a friend. What a powerful, powerful example. We need to ask the Lord, Lord, would you help me to humble myself? So you don't want God to humble you. Don't pray and ask God to humble you because God's, God's way of humbling can be painful. You don't want God to humble you. You don't want God to embarrass you. 
And he's not in the business of doing that. He, he says, humble yourself. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God. That's, that's got to be our prayer. God, humble. Let, show me how to humble myself. Not in competition with anybody. Not trying to climb any ladders. Not trying to get... I, I, spent, the, I spent the better part of the afternoon, four or five hours today, lunch. I was with a minister friend. And we were talking about some of the great things that the Lord has done in both the church where he pastors and the church here. And I kept hearing him say, you know, I'm not bragging. And I kept hearing myself say the same things. But we're talking about some of the good things that the Lord has done. Because there was a common thread and an element that we both had to kind of get past today. And it was, we're not talking about the good things that God's doing in the church to try to exalt and lift us up and compete with one another. Because if that's the case, we've got great programs, great music, but we can't. We can't compete. Oh, you you just don't know, Pastor. You need to get out more. There's much greater preachers than I. We have good music, but there's much greater music programs and much, much greater. We, we, we can't, and we certainly can't compete with the world. We do dramas and think we've arrived. You can't compete with Hollywood. This isn't a competition. This is about pleasing Him and letting Him be exalted and let Him be lifted up. Stand with me all over the room if you would. I want you just to pray a prayer with me tonight and say, God, help me. Help me humble myself before you that you may exalt me. How do I become great in God's eyes? How do... How do I become? It's when we let all the things of this world fade away. And we turn our eyes toward him. Say only what he says matters. Only pleasing him matters. And we put him first. All over this room, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, hands are lifted. People are praying right now all over this room. Let's pray, God, help us. Help us to prepare ourselves to be what you want us to be. Lord, help me to be a selfless servant that's working in the kingdom of God. Lord, let me find the, Lord, the path that you are putting us on, that you're leading us on. God, let me humble myself before you that you may be able to exalt me. Let me walk worthy, oh God. Let me walk worthy, oh God. Come on, let this song be your prayer. Oh, yes. Lord, I'm giving you control. Let me be a vessel. One that's worthy to be used. Make me in your image. Make me more like you. Come on, make it your prayer song now. Make me. This heart of mine, Lord, I'm giving you control. Let me be a vessel. 